Hi, you're listening to the Inside Family Law Podcast. Um, my name is Zoe Duran. I'm your interviewer. And I'm here today um, speaking with, well, by telephone, um, Jenny Neo, as she's waiting in the Qantas Lounge, indeed. <laughs> in Sydney. In Sydney. Oh, you're in Sydney. Oh, I should, have ca- I should have caught you, Jenny, before you left. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, so, look, I guess first, just to start off, what is it that you do, Jenny, in the family law space? Um, uh, I work as a single expert witness um, in the Family Court of Western Australia, the Family Court and the Federal Circuit Court. Uh, I do entirely family law. I write reports and uh, do psychological assessments, write reports um, as a single expert, but I also work as a single expert witness as a treater as well uh, Mm -hmm. and have my own model of family therapy that I um, have been working on for the last couple of years. Okay. Um, So, look, I was curious because I actually heard about you, um, Jenny, uh, via other barristers and other practitioners in in a positive way. Um, And what I heard is that you're doing family therapy in, I guess, a different way uh, or, as you said, you've developed your own sort of type of family therapy. Could you talk us through what that means in practical terms? Oh, sure. Maybe I'll start with how it come about. Yeah. Um, Maybe about five years ago, I... um, had a case that was a Western Australian case and Victorian case um, uh, heard in Western Australia. And so I did that and um, people people liked my work and they kept asking me to come back. So since that time, I've been going back maybe once a month to Perth and work over there. Um, and then people started asking me to do some therapy with people. Um, and I thought about it. Um, and I usually only do the most difficult of cases, uh, usually cases heading for trial. Um, and I had been exposed to a fair few uh, therapies uh, in the US in particular with uh, cases where there's alienation alleged uh, and children haven't seen parents for a long time. And some of those therapies involved uh, immersion type therapies. Uh, one in particular is one where uh, children and families go off to uh, Vermont and uh, spend time in a summer American camp uh, for uh, four days and then return to their family life and after a you know regime of therapy. Uh, and there's a few others that work on the same sort of idea of intensive therapy, um, usually with a whole range of therapists uh, and allied staff. For example, the Vermont Family Camp uh, Overcoming Barriers program has you know, camp counsellors and uh, therapists for everyone and they have group work with a, a number of different families um, and, and, you know, cooks and uh, all of those sort of uh, allied staff as well. So when I was working in Perth, I sort of adapted some of those ideas as a single therapist model of family therapy where I would uh, spend four days with a family uh, and... Uh, people always say, what can you do in four days? That's that's way too quick. Uh, and I always tell everyone, it is the slowest therapy you can ever possibly do. You have time <laughs> to sit and wait for children to get out of cars. You have time to involve extended family members. You get to meet everyone. You get to understand the physical aspects involved in children's care. Uh, for example, a family that I saw just recently where... Uh, the child lives with the maternal grandmother and has a princess, you know, Disney bedroom. And when she goes to her father, it's, um, let's say, less than hygienic and there's very few toys and things like that. And just the physical contrast between children's homes. 
Um, but it gives me the leeway to adapt the therapy to every single family's idiosyncratic circumstances in a way that makes no family the same. Every single family therapy very different. Uh, and it's a really dynamic therapy that you're thinking on your feet where you have to work out what is going on and what will help that family. But there is some structure to it and it um, and I've certainly developed over the years to know what to do and certainly the first two days of the therapy, uh, I usually take a pretty typical course and then adapt the second two days of the therapy to the family's specific circumstances. Okay. So that's, a, that's a long answer. <laughs> that's, no, that's all right. So it's interesting what you say. Look, I mean, I, about, I, I guess I'll put it this way, you know, whether it's alienation or whatever you want to call it, let's just say, because I, I some people don't even like to use that phrase, but I know what you mean. You said in cases where it's alleged. Cases where there's a child not seeing a parent at all. Let's put it that way. Yes. Um, yes. So they're often quite difficult cases. I'm just going to say something. Like, I don't know if it's the wrong thing to say, but I'm just going to say it. <laughs> this, is, this is how I normally operate. Um. I mean, I sort of feel sometimes, and I'm generalising now, I've just seen this happen that sometimes, you know, there's a child not seeing a parent, especially if it's an older child, like a 12, 13-year-old. Um, they're not seeing one of the parents, so there's the rejected parent, whatever. And they sort of march off. They get sent off to do a bit of therapy, like the like once a week for an hour or something, you know, just one on one. And eventually maybe the idea is that they should – um, start contact again with the parent that never happens and then after sort of a year of doing that then it's sort of oh well this hasn't worked so therefore now we'll just give up and I was really interested to hear about your therapy because people have said to me that you are getting results um, in that you're actually getting children who sometimes those really hard cases where they haven't seen a parent for a while to spend time with them again how are you achieving that like how do you actually get that result okay um let me go back to the word alienation again. It's not a word I like to use. Mm. Mainly no, no, I wasn't lawyers. trying to be critical. Yeah, I, you know what I mean. No, no, like, no, yeah. no, no. I'll explain what I mean. Um, lawyers use it, lay people use it, mm. families use it, um, and everyone, I think, misunderstands it. So I don't use that word. The other word I don't use is reunification therapy, and mm. I'm firmly and strongly against that word because it implies that uh, a child should see a parent when that should not be the goal of the therapy. So I go mm. on with a very neutral uh, approach. I, everyone is right. No one is wrong. Um, we will see what happens and we will test hypotheses again about what is going on in this family because typically these kids present as highly anxious. Mm. Usually the preferred parent is uh, highly anxious as well. They may not have, uh, they feel usually feel highly criticised by the court. Uh, they feel like their concerns haven't been heard or, mm. or listened to. Uh, the other side is usually uh, the rejected parent uh, has a very strong view. They uh, present themselves as a perfectly reasonable parent who has just not had a chance to see that child. That the more I, more work I do, I find that there is usually some problems with a rejected parent yeah, that becomes yeah, I would agree very with that. evident, very evident over mm -hmm. the therapy. So, um, they, but they've been allowed to stand back and be, uh, uh, been have no criticism of them at all. Um, so, how do I do it, and why do I get different results? Um, first of all, I don't use insight therapy. So, the basis of most, particularly with the parents, I should say. 
the basis of most therapy is that people will go along, they will talk about their problems, there will be a warm relationship between a, a therapist and that person and by understanding their problems, their problems will be resolved. So that's insight therapy and most conventional therapy is like that. Um, the therapy I do with parents is very much about behavioural. I don't particularly care what they think or what their beliefs are um, and I say to them, um, I want you just to be a reasonable parent. I want you to take a deep breath and just behave like a reasonable parent and we will see where that goes. Stop reacting to the other parent. I will help you. I will give you support. I will do everything you need um, uh, need for advice um, and I'll just help you through that. And all I want you to do is be a reasonable parent. And the reward they get, so the behavioural reward they get, is that their children are then, when their children are happier, they should also be happier. Mm. One of the problems with working in these really difficult areas, and I always say that all, all parents love their kids, some parents just hate the other parent more. So, so in some cases, it, you know, even even cases that look quite malicious and deliberate can sometimes be resolved quite easily. But other cases, usually over the four days, you get to a point where one parent reveals their real motivations um, and and is not happy with their children being happier and more satisfied. And at that point, I have to usually write a report because you know that there is going to be no happy outcome in that family because a parent has shown how they think and feel. So... Um, when you say you've got to write a report, does that mean that you won't that maybe that the issue can't be resolved, that, that you can't sort of get their co any kind of co parenting or even parallel parenting back on track or anything? Oh, look, maybe I'll talk about the how, the work I do with children, which is very much cognitive behavioural. So these kids are highly anxious. They have avoidance strategies to avoid their rejected parent. They're very strong. They're, um, they're the hardest children to work with in conventional therapy and lots of therapists, you know, tear their hair out trying to, mm. why can't you just see this parent? Why is it so hard for you to see this mm. parent? So and it's based on this high anxiety um, and very resistant avoidance uh, behaviours to stay away from that parent and not come into contact with them. So one of the things I do first is I bring the children into contact with that the rejected parent on the first day of the therapy. It's usually a highly charged session. I keep it really brief. I let kids go. I'm entirely on kids' side. I make sure that rejected parents understand this is entirely about the child. Um, and then sometimes the second day we have some miracles happen where the child's anxiety is then extinguished because they've been through that and it's quite a it's called flooding which is uh, all their anxieties it's like being scared of spiders and being put in a room full of spiders <laughs> but then but then but then their anxiety usually extinguishes not in all cases um, and then you can start doing other work and actually explore what that relationship with a rejected parent um, can be, might be, um, whether they've grown up since the time they haven't seen that parent and they understand or put into context some incident that may or may not have occurred. So the work with children is very much cognitive behavioural mm. after we get through the anxiety. Um, and then we put the rejected parent to the test by having some fun between the child and the rejected parent and then the child can explore new beginnings, new relationships, 
um, because fun is actually the building blocks of relationship. It's you can share a smile or a joke over something, or 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 you know, join in a shared activity. So this is the bit um, of fun therapy on day two or three. It is. It is. Very I like much. that. I go to a I go to a lot of trampoline centres. I play a lot of card games. On, uh, you know, yeah, we have we have fun. We have fun. Um, so uh, recently, I've introduced. Um, have, I used to have the, uh, and I make the parents meet, and I used to have it that that parent meeting occurred on the last day of the therapy where we, we put together, with feedback all the way, but on the last day of the therapy, we put together all the information that we have now learned over the four days, and then I allow parents to come up with their own solution. Um, I've recently, over the last year or so, introduced a parent meeting on the second day of the therapy and that works really well just for parents to get through their own anxiety to Mm. meet um and manage it and that means that we can get to solutions easier because the their anxiety is not clouding their judgment about things well Um, yeah so go on yep well i was going to say that after the four days and when parents have come up with their own um their own solutions and they own their solutions and it's based on recent data not what happened six months ago or two years ago or five years ago uh it's recent data and that's really nice to see then i usually go into a case management mode with parents uh with a good outcome uh and that is you know helping parents to start to communicate properly i do very directive parent communication training um, and I like to tell a story about a family where um, the dad might write to me and say, I really want to ask mum if you know our son can go to cricket training. And I say, okay, send me your email to me first and I'll have a look at what you're going to do. And then I edit that email, send it back to him to send on. And then he sends it to the mother and then the mother sends it sends me an email saying look what he just wrote how dare he you know why should he do this and stuff so then I say how about we just respond as a reasonable parent would and then I rewrite her email back to him and in that way train parents to to communicate properly for the first time and get some really lovely outcomes okay so obviously without going into too much detail because you've got to protect people's identities and stuff but could you perhaps outline just maybe very broad brush terms, one where you hadn't like a, a good outcome, as you said, like that. Well, I've got to say, um, when you do uh, therapy work with children with autism, uh, you have to adapt that therapy to that child's idiosyncrasies, and every single family is is extremely different, mm. um, and. It's very hard to generalise across Yeah, to tell a story because uh, the family listening will be like, that was my family that you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry then, scrap that one. Um, um, I can. I can say that parents like the opportunity to because they've been through the court system up to that point mm. and they're getting to the really sticky end and no one's offered them a chance to jump off that roller coaster and start taking control of their lives again. And parents really appreciate... Uh, that 
that opportunity. Um, and I think everyone is just so anxious, parents and children. If you deal with their anxiety and you treat them with respect, I think they respond as reasonable parents. I mean, it's interesting what you say about the, the getting off the roller coaster. I mean, I interviewed a man um, about it was after his court, you know, his matter, um, and he was reflecting on it, and he said that he literally felt like he was on this. He called it the litigation bus ride, <laughs> and he oh, said he yeah. was going from stop to stop. He didn't know how to get off, and it was just like this endless bus ride. And he was like, "Get me off this bus," you know. <laughs> I know, and that's one of the factors that actually helps me because um, they're so frustrated with it. They know how much money they've spent. They'd like a nicer way to do it. Um, one of the other factors that really helps is having that very limited four days. So I usually go from 11 to 8 with families, um, and I usually, people go, do you live with them? I go, no, I don't live with them. But what I do is I do the sessions of the sessions between parents, children, parents, 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 grandparents, you know, extended family members, get your friends in if, you, if they're part of the problem. <laughs> Let's deal with all those issues. Like very unconventional um, sessions I have. Mm. Um, and... Uh, I can't remember where I was going with that. Um, well, look, basically I find it interesting that you say you get the extended family and the, and the friends if the friends are part of the problem because it's funny because sometimes the friends are, are part of the problem. They um, are sometimes. Sometimes. Um, sometimes not, but sometimes they are. Um, I, I suppose I wanted to ask, and we were talking a bit about this before, you know, we when we were just chatting before we officially interviewed, and I don't know how willing you are to go on in the actual interview about this, but I was just saying, and I mentioned it before, that sort of conventional therapy where – You've got a family in this in a very you know extreme situation. Obviously, the one parent would have a very different version of events to the other. But either way, one thing we can agree on is it's it's a difficult matter. You know, you've got a child that's for whatever reason not seeing one parent. There's a rejected parent, and they if they just go to waft off to therapy once a week. And I've just seen it, and and I don't often see much change in those matters with the therapy. And you were sort of saying you had certain views about if that sort of therapy really works in those situations. I think they those type of therapies are sometimes very harmful, particularly uh, in the early adolescent uh, child cases, because what they do is draw it out, they get no solutions, it's completely ineffectual, there's been no change, and that child has grown up, and at that point the court says, oh, sorry, this child is now, you know, 13 or 14, they'll mm -hmm. vote with their feet, you know, there's nothing we can do about that. Um, I just, uh, without being telling too many details um i work with all ages including children who are over 18 and include them as part of the therapy and often have wonderful results with like 17 year olds who are very reluctant to be part of the therapy at the start but feel uh that they understand their family situation much better so the cognitive behavioral part about it is helping kids to think critically about both parents and I firmly believe that children should have the relationship with each parent that the parent deserves. Um, and I want children to think with open eyes and view their parents critically, as all kids should eventually. Mm, that's so interesting. Um, so you developed this, as you said, there was a bit of influence from the US models, is that right, as, as well, in this therapy? Uh, it, was a, it was a combination of all I knew about the pros and cons of, of, of about five uh, American models that are currently still operating. Mm. Um, there was a very important conference, 2010, an AFCC conference, uh, I think in Denver in 2010, where uh, all of the programs that are working in the US come together and talked very frankly about the pros and cons of their program, and that was hugely enlightening. For example, that Vermont Overcoming Barriers 
uh, camp uh, talked about the problems that things worked really well when they went to a summer camp, but when the family went back into their home environment, uh, the same processes and dynamics mm. would re-emerge. And what I know now about families and extended family members, sometimes you have to deal with those extended family members as part of the family therapy. And mm. I can see why that is a problem with going off to a summer camp for four days. Well, you're in that kind of, I mean, it's like not a perfect environment, but you're in this sort of separate environment and maybe then it's hard to integrate what you do there into your real life. I don't know. Yes, I. Yeah, very good observation. Mm. Um. So you mentioned the AFCC just a second ago. Sorry, what is what is that? Uh, it's Association of Family and Conciliation Courts. So I'm secretary of the Australian chapter, and as I say, we're AFCC is a, a group of family law professionals who are not fuddy duddies, who have good hearts, <laughs> who want to improve family law, uh, and are passionate about family law and children. So um, we have lots of members and we've had six conferences and very successful conferences where we get multidisciplinary family law professionals coming together and talking about topics in enthusiastic and exciting ways. And we've got a few mm. really exciting programs coming up um, where we've started family report writer training uh, okay. because there's been no training or standardisation to this point. Uh, and we also have a family report writer endorsement program by the Australian chapter. So we are looking at rewarding excellence in family report writing and uh, endorsing endorsing those people. So, look, I had another question. Um, in terms of, look, this is, I'm throwing a bit of a curveball at you, but I'm curious about this. It's a genuine question. Um, sure. What about if matters where there's family violence alleged? Like, can this therapy not work then or it can work? Oh. Or Sorry, I'm throwing you a curveball. No, that's a, that's a beautiful question, Zoe. Um, I really like empowering women and I do not like people to be scared or frightened or worried. Um, and I have some lovely results with people who are too frightened to see their other partner. Mm. And we have, uh, in the best possible environment where the other partner is very keen for the therapy to work, uh, will likely be on their very best behaviour, uh, trying to impress me, trying to impress everyone, <laughs> trying to impress their kids. Uh, we have a perfect opportunity uh, to, to be, you know, be safe, have some screening, but to bring them together and to have a very different outcome. So this is not mediation. This is not even playing field. This is a very much a unbalanced playing field where the person who has had things happen to them uh, can come back and revisit it and feel powerful for the first time. And that's, that's so interesting. That's a really rewarding part of the therapy. And I've had that quite a few times. So what is it kind of almost like they... <sighs> It's not really a just justice is not the word I'm trying to use, but they get some sort of sense of rebalance of redress of power or something. Um, I think I think they lose their power, and then I think when they get a chance to do it in a really safe environment, they are able to look at that person and go, you know what, you're just a person, and you actually actually feel a bit sorry for you because you know you're not as powerful as I thought you were. I made you powerful in my head, and you're not, and that's really nice. I mean, is it ever possible in cases where there has been family violence to come through to a different place where, you know, because sometimes it is that interesting dynamic where one parent's saying, 
like and it's not always, but I might be, say, the mum who's saying I was a victim of family violence. This is why my child doesn't want to spend time with the other parent because it's based on actual proportionate to real experiences they've had and witnessed. And then you've got the other parent who's saying, no, no, this is all being made up and da-da-da-da. Like, I have seen that dynamic. Have you dealt with cases like that? Oh, always. Um, Zoe, so the the reason why uh, psychologists and therapists are addicted to therapy is there is something so wonderful about seeing people and this sort of moment of truth when people face each other. It feels fantastic to get to that point. You don't always get to that point in therapy. Mm -hmm. But when people sit and talk uh, and look each other in the eyes, they can make assessments of each other and reassess each other and that's you know you can get really lovely change happening um uh, with family violence sometimes uh, uh, even in terrible cases the chance to come back and go and and tell that other person i'm not that person that i was when this happened i'm someone different and you better recognize it and i'm much more powerful now so don't even think about it because you know what happens if you do that and i'm i'm now a very different person Mm, it's interesting um so where do you see i guess the future of this who's practicing this kind of more as i said most of the therapy that i've been aware of has been more that once a week for an hour or something kind of therapy not this kind of 11 a.m till 8 p.m and you know it's funny you said people say do you live with them because i have to admit jenny i'd heard that you live with them (laughs) i'd heard you moved in with clients i thought oh gosh i've got to speak to this woman so what do you what how do you um Where's the few, who's practicing this? Is it just your you in Australia right now doing this model of therapy, or or is anyone else, or where's it going? Uh, people 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 are interested. Um, I am talking nonstop about it, and I think it needs a real cultural shift away from insight therapy into behavioural therapy. Um, and uh, even though I do this model with four days, not not every, doesn't suit everyone, but you can take aspects of it and apply it. And even the idea of not insight, parents just behave well, I don't care what you think, I don't care what you believe, I just want you to behave like a reasonable parent. If you can get two parents doing that, you will have some very, very happy kids. And I suppose what I, when I'm talking about happy kids is that sometimes when you get kids through that anxiety, what you get is this miracle happening on the second day of the therapy where children who have been cowering the day before get out of the car and go, oh, what are we doing today, Dad? What are we doing today, Mum? You know, that it's like so this miracle. Sometimes family report writers see it when they see interview children and children say one thing and then you see them with the other parent and they're all over that parent in that parent's arms. But mm. this, is, this is even more enduring because the children are, through their anxiety, Mm. Uh, and there's a different reason for it. The reason children behave like that is they can't tolerate the two stories told by each parent. So what they do is they adopt one pe- one parent's story when mm. they're with one parent and then they adopt another parent's story when they're with their other parent and aren't, aren't um, worried by the discrepancy in their behaviour. Mm. Um, with this therapy, you see the miracles because children get through their anxiety. They, the anxiety doesn't come back uh, because they haven't seen that parent for so long. They've got this idea about them. It's blown up like a boogeyman in their head. Um, and it brings it back to reality. And then quite amazingly, no matter how long children haven't seen another parent for, you get this reactivation of a previously warm relationship in an instant. I had some girls who were you know, covering their their faces in their mother's lap and wouldn't even look at their father Mm. and then got out of the car, 
uh, went into a uh, trampoline centre uh, and were climbing on his head, you know, within minutes of seeing him on the second day of the therapy and they hadn't seen him in any reasonable terms for a couple of years. That's so interesting. Um, yeah. So you know how you were talking about it's it's behavioural rather than insight. I guess it's, I mean, look, I'm not a trained, like I'm not a psycho. I'm a family lawyer, but I'm not a psychologist and I'm not trained in that, in that you know, in that way that you guys are. Um, so I don't know if it's like, this is just sort of a question though that popped into my mind and I'm not trying to be difficult at all. But, you know, there's sometimes people sort of say, well, if you don't have, like, like how, can the, can it be permanent if you don't have insight? Like, do you find though when they, you do this behavioural work, is it, does it stay or do they sort of revert back to their old behaviours because they didn't really understand well, it in the first place. Yeah, they can, um, but children don't because if the therapy works really well, and um, and I'll tell you about the, when, it, when the therapy doesn't work so well, but we also get a nice outcome because I write a report about it and then it's really clear to everyone. Um, the reason what happens with children is they start to think critically about their parents and then they cannot go back to that naive state. So um, if one parent is genuinely and deliberately manipulating that child, once a child sees it, it can't work anymore because they're aware of it. They've eaten the apple. They've got the knowledge. They've eaten the apple. You can't uneat the apple. That's right. I know what you mean. That's right. Exactly right. That's exactly right. So children don't go back to it. Sometimes parents will pretend for me uh, and I'll give them support, I'll give them education about the effect on their children, I'll give them all of that and they still, uh, as I said before, they just hate the other parent more and when they get a choice between seeing their children uh, lose their anxiety, um, and I'll just take a little sidestep there, some parents who see their child anxious are genuinely worried about their child because they see that anxiety. It's terrible. Mm. Uh, they 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 know it's associated with the other parent. So it's actually an understandable position to to be really worried about your child when your child shows anxiety. Yeah. But when your child loses that anxiety and they look happier and they're more comfortable and they're natural and they they're you know free from that anxiety. You should be happier as a parent, mm. and some parents aren't. That's so a very, sad. Very minor, very minor minority, um, and sometimes in the cases where you know all the lawyers and the judges are very sure that one parent is deliberately and manipulating a child, and uh, you can get really nice results because it's not actually the case. If you deal with the child's anxiety and then the parent's anxiety, they are just so pleased that their children are happier. Mm. They're uncomfortable with the other parent and you need to work with them on that. But as soon as the therapy moves away from parent-child work into parent-parent work, we know we're on the right track. Mm. And so well, after they've had these four days, what you mentioned so there is some sort of follow-up or like some support afterwards so they can contact you afterwards? Oh, yeah. Uh, mostly it's parent work. I rarely see the children again. Uh, occasionally I, I might come for another day or something. If something, I, I'm usually there for crisis, crises and um, problems and, you know, these parents have never been able to get on, never been able to co-parent, so I'm asking them to do a different way of parenting. So I usually do it by email, by phone if I have to, um, you know, but I know the family really well. And usually by the end of four days, I have two parents who trust me because I've been really honest with them. I've told them things that they didn't want to hear, but I've told them in a kind way. Mm. Um, and 
so they trust me and I've got good results with their child so they know that if they listen to me then they might get further better results um, some parents can't change but children and some parents don't get the result they want and they would say the therapy has gone very badly um, and I'll go back to that idea of not using the word reunification mm. sometimes uh, sometimes it's just not appropriate for a child to see a parent and they've got very good reasons mm, for it, but they mm. will describe their feelings in sort of irrational ways. They'll look a little bit um, bizarre when they say it. People <laughs> say, you know, they're influenced by one parent. But when you when you bring them together with that parent and that parent can't change or won't change or keeps frightening them or things like that, um it can still be a really good outcome, I think, when children understand the reasons for their fear, they're mm. able to manage them, they're no longer anxious, uh, and they're able to look at that other parent and go, this is why I don't like you. Uh, you may not <laughs> understand it, but this is why I know I don't like you. And mm. I say, fair enough, kid. I'm really happy with that result. So that mm. sometimes parents aren't happy with the results, but kids generally are. Well, that's the, that's the main thing is that so it's very child-focused, which is obviously important. Um, I really like what you're saying about sort of the, getting the children to sort of see things kind of clearly. You know what I mean? Like they're able to kind of understand more why they felt anxious. And it's, so do you ever get to do that work where I guess you get to manage? Because I think sometimes children don't have as much of a voice as would be good, where children get to voice to a parent their, I guess, their, the problems they've had with that parent or how they've perceived things with that parent. Yeah, um, there's always a power imbalance between children and parents. Yeah. Um, and children, you know, in their early years don't have the critical thinking skills to actually mm. understand it. So sometimes these kids look really irrational in their, in their discussions of why they don't want to see a parent because they start off with a feeling of discomfort. Mm. They hear the arguments of adults around them about what what's wrong with that parent and they sometimes adopt those arguments so I try to take them back to those feelings of discomfort and try to get all the kids I work with to talk from their heart and I help them explore why they've had those feelings and what they're feeling now and you know even when something terrible has happened and they've got genuine good reasons for rejection of that parent I say is it time to draw a line in the sand? You're older now, you know. Um, they've apologised. They may not mean it, but, uh, you know, maybe it's time to explore that relationship. And some kids do and some kids don't and some kids can't forgive and, you know, every kid's different. Interesting what you say about forgiveness. Um, you know, I think sort of at some point if a relationship is going to continue and, as you say, it may, may not always, but if it does, um, there does have to be some element at some point of forgiveness for things that have happened between children, you know, like parents forgiving each other, children forgiving parents, parents forgiving children even. Yeah, and I'll say that last one, parents forgiving children. Um, and certainly in cases where children's allegations have been exaggerated for a variety of reasons, mostly anxiety, um, and a parent has gone through a terrible circumstances of you know criminal proceedings or something like oh, that that's yeah. later been dismissed and yet you what you do is you find a family in those circumstances where one parent is convinced something happened children feel a bit guilty about what they might have said there's been no way to retract it the other parent has been through a terrible experience uh, and no one is happy um and helping parents parents to live with ambivalence and maybe we don't know what happened maybe it did happen maybe it didn't happen 
Mm. But we have to move on. Mm, mm, the forgiveness aspect. So, look, in terms of, as I said, um, this, oh, there's Qantas. Um, <laughs> you need to get on a plane. Um, in terms of this therapy and where, and where you do it and how, is it, you're based in Melbourne, but you fly everywhere. Yeah, I really work in Melbourne. Um, I like to go out to people's homes because that's where it happens and you understand um, you understand who's important when you go into someone's home, when a grandparent can't stop talking or, or butting in on the child or, you know, or um, even those issues about the practical and the, the environment, about what children experience, you can really understand. The case I said where the, they, she moves from the grandmother's home to a father's the physical environments are so different she's uncomfortable with that and that's certainly a factor in that child's experience and mm. why she's not so keen to see her father so you can fly to people so just because so if, if someone did want to get you to help their family they can you can come even though they're, you, they're not in melbourne you could come to them in Sydney or yeah, another I know, state. Yeah, I pretty much anywhere, drive out anywhere, do anything like that. Uh, I think the work's so rewarding. I'd like more people to do it, um, mm. and that's why I certainly talk on it. I um, give people the recipe if I can. It takes a certain amount, uh, it takes a certain style of personality, I think, and a certain level of qualifications. I think you have to be quite a strong personality um, and have some kindness and care about children um, and some qualifications to do conventional type therapy so you understand what I'm when I say uh, flooding what flooding means and mm. uh, the, the treatment for anxiety mm, mm. and so where do you see the future of this sort of type of therapy that you're doing which I said is, as I said is quite different to what I've just often seen in the past where do you see it going do you would do, are more people picking up on it or uh, yes uh, people are on I'm, uh, I'm really trying to balance my time between seeing families you know one at a time and talking on it and training and giving giving presentations and writing papers and things like that i mean mm. i sent you a paper that i uh, gave at the afcc mm. conference in adelaide last year which was on alienation uh so i spoke about this therapy there uh, struggled to write the paper for it because i just i just don't have time yeah um, <laughs> and i suppose there's also the issue of time because I spend a lot of weekends and that with families rather than with my own family. So oh, no. there's a sacrifice, sacrifice with it too. No, well, it's good work you're doing. So where can people reach? Do you have a website or something? Where can people reach you who are listening? No, who... I'm very low key. They'll have to. How can we find email. you? <laughs> You'll be uh... in some family's home. <laughs> no. <laughs> I have an office in Melbourne, but, uh, you know, email me or contact my office in Melbourne. Where's your office in Melbourne so, so that people can at least contact your office, like if a lawyer is listening to this or someone or then they want to get in touch with you? Is it, where, where's it uh, run out? phone number? Oh, no, yeah, well, just where's it located? Like, what's it called? Where's the centre you're at or, you know? Where... Uh, Dr. Jennifer Neo, clinical psychologist, uh, and I'm in Rosanna. All right, they can Google search you and find you. Um, yeah. So, look, thank you so much um, for talking with me today. Um, it's been a real pleasure and a real eye-opener as well. Thank you for letting me talk. No worries. I'm just...